my friends. The great experiment. Down on the Lord Dex. Dex. Hidden. Trink. Trink. Would you look at that? The greatest trink. Trink. Two people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. It's the end. Season four. Can't believe we're already here. Our season ends on Halloween. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that? We're ending on a very spooky day. You in a neighborhood with a lot of uh, trick-or-treaters? What's your deal? It's hard to say because... I think that the first couple of years we were here, it was real covid and I don't think that mm. there was a lot of uh, encouragement of that kind of behavior for the little ones. And we had a couple trick-or-treaters last year, but we also failed to get our pumpkin carved and lit up, so we weren't really repping mm. ween. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, for a long time there, I wasn't repping ween either. Yeah. LA is also... Because of the presence of lots of very talented scenic artists and such, a city where in particular neighborhoods and particular little pockets, people really go all out. So mm-hmm. I think it's more a city of you don't trick-or-treat in your own neighborhood. You go to one of the big trick-or-treating neighborhoods. Oh, that's interesting. You go candy carpet bag. Yeah, I think think that's maybe what's going on i mean i don't know did was there like the one street that had the big candy bars and the big displays in your neck of the woods growing up when i was growing up yeah there was definitely that cul-de-sac but god even saying the word cul-de-sac makes me think of how few of those i've ever seen in la is that even a thing here i mean in In seattle it's all cul-de-sacs all the time (laughs) all culs-de-sac yeah yeah (laughs) Ben, we have a neighbor two doors down that is Halloween Street in one house. I've seen that house. That house is uh, really impressive. And then when it's Christmas, they they go all out for that too, right? Like they, they really like put in the work for every big season. Yeah. It's holiday season for our two doors down neighbors. <laughs> and it's intense. Yeah. It's intense every time I go outside with Ripley and we are... Blasted with uh, the sounds of an angry Dracula or something. Motion activated. Does Ripley get uh, spooked by the... Are there like animatronics that she barks at and stuff? You know what's wild about Ripley is that she is super cool with two 20-foot Home Depot skeletons and a Dracula (laughs) and like crazy pyro at the house a few doors down. But what she hates more than anything, is the car dealership, you know, shooty, inflatable tube arm guys. Yeah. (laughs) Those have a name, right? What are those called? Inflatable flailing arm man. Oh, what what the hell just happened? What? Did you see that? No. You were making the finger flexions and confetti rained down on on your camera. Really? Yeah. What did I do? it, It was like reacting to a gesture you did or something. Oh, that's weird. I don't like that. Yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Friends of DeSoto on the on the stream, tell me if you saw that. Oh, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of people confirming did see confetti. Oh, that's weird. I don't like that. 
Maybe it was uh, talking about flailing arm man that made your computer react by... It was really impressive. Some of the confetti was falling down in front of you and some of it was falling down behind your shoulders like it was matting out behind you. I can't believe that. It was three-dimensional confetti. I don't believe it. I I didn't see it. (laughs) I don't know what's happening on today's episode of Greatest Trek, but what I do know is that I really want to get into this episode with you, Adam. This is uh, the uh, the season finale, season four. It's got a name, but I did not write it down. <laughs> I've got your back, Ben. It's Star Trek Lower Deck season four, episode 10. Old friends, new planets. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Hello, Alpha Quadrant. Unknown. Who was the previously on Lower Deck's voice? Was that Ransom? That was Jerry O'Connell. I was going to yeah. bring this up. Those are big shoes to fill. Previously on Star Trek Lower Decks. You've had decades of Major Barrett's computer voice doing right. this. And there's something like, it's weird to say about a computer voice, but there's something so ingrained in that, like almost emotionally. Yeah. Like it, we grew up with this. Being a certain way. Last time on Star Trek The Next Generation. And now that it's not, like, who else is it going to be? I thought he did a really nice job. It Me sounded too. natural to the show. I do wonder about that because at some point, the people in charge of Star Trek went out and made a big deal before Majel Barrett passed away that they'd captured her voice for posterity and they were going to be able to make, like, a a voice model, mm-hmm. which is like technology that like you and I have access to. This is what we're working on for me. Anybody can do this now. Like you yeah. put some text into the internet and it sounds like Patrick Stewart or whatever is is saying the text and they have declined to actually use it. And I wonder what is behind that choice because it, it felt a little ghoulish and weird to me. Like I thought it was kind of like there's some gee whiz like techno that's amazing that they can do that at the time when they announced it but also some like like this this lady is gonna be dead and we're gonna be like hearing her voice because that's part of the brand (laughs) well i think especially right now while there's a labor action between the actors and the amptp in which like ai and the generation of any artificial performance is on the table to be negotiated like it's probably not a great look to do that at this moment in time and like even separate from that jerry o'connell did a great job maybe they shouldn't give it to one person maybe they should just give it to who is right for that particular episode yeah you watch you know real housewives of beverly hills and when they say last time on real housewives of beverly hills and they summarize you know the previous episode. It's it's a different housewife each time. They they all get a crack at the at the pinata. You know. I'll have to take your word for that. <laughs> Our cold open is a flashback to Starfleet Academy. I don't know, Nick. The Starburst maneuver is banned for a reason. Josh was our friend. We'd flown together a long time. I thought pulling it off would make us legends. <laughs> I'm very disturbed by what I've heard here today. I saw a Boothby in the wide shot, didn't you? Boothby is in the wide, facing away from the camera, so we can't be totally sure, but it really read as Boothby. Yeah. It's the whole red squad here, 
Ben, every one of them, and the voice actors associated with these characters. We come in in media Culver's Starburst pitch uh, with Nick Locarno and Cito Jaxa and Will Wheaton. Hey, nerds! Yeah, they got all three of them to to do voices. I guess we never heard the voice of the dude who played the guy that died, right? Yeah, Josh is there. Josh yeah. is pre-dead in this scene. <laughs> he doesn't really make much of an impact in this scene. I mean, not the impact that he'll make later Yeah, when, when his body goes through the atmosphere and hits the ground. Yeah, poor guy. He never got to make it through the academy, never got to be given the rank of captain so that he could vape on the bridge. Yeah. A very, very deep cut reference. (laughs) Ben, I got a question about one of the voices we're hearing in this scene. Okay. Will Wheaton is doing a performance of Wesley Crusher, but it's young Wesley Crusher. Young Wesley Crusher. And Will Wheaton is famously like 50 or whatever. Like he's he's our age. I'm I'm significantly younger than 50. (laughs) I just want to put that out there. (laughs) but if you were to play young how would you do it because when i hear will wheaton's voice in this scene here's what i think he's doing to affect that youthful voice okay he's making his mouth sound very wet (laughs) (laughs) like 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 here's me here's me normal me I already sound very youthful. I have a very reedy, whiny, high-pitched voice. But here's me trying to speak like younger me. I'm going to take a drink. Here's me very young. My, I'm a lot younger now. Because my mouth is full of liquid. I am getting uh, lots and lots of emails from the misophonia community asking you to stop. Yeah. And never play young again. The the thing about the misophonia community is like any community with a negative feedback, they they only sound very loud because they're the only ones willing to give feedback. Somehow the misophonia community sound whinier than you did (laughs) when you attempted to sound like a younger man. Here's my impression of the misophonia community. (laughs) Oh, please stop. Please stop. You sound too young. You sound too young, like like Will Wheaton. I don't know about this whole Starburst thing. Josh, are you sure? <laughs> uh, nothing but the best to the misophonia community. Mariner rolls up. Yeah. Because she and Cito Jaxa are friends? Or it's, is it's, this like a Mariner really looks up to Cito Jaxa in a kind of like undergrad senior type of situation? Yeah, like a very, like, Cito has a very, like, big sis relationship to Mariner in that type of way. And, I mean, interestingly, I think Mariner's voice is even being thrown into a younger register. Did you get the feeling that Cito gave a shit about Mariner, though? Like, I kind of required a little bit more of this relationship in order to ground Mariner's behavior the entire season in some kind of reality. Well, it's clear that... Mariner definitely puts Zito on a pedestal. I mean, maybe that's all that's necessary, is like the hero worship of Mariner for Zito. Yeah, but I think also, crucially, Zito is so sweet to her about it. She's yeah. not encouraging an unhealthy you know, hero worship situation. What she is doing is being 
really sweet to Mariner, very accommodating and like and encouraging without it going into an unhealthy place, I think. Yeah. So yeah, this is uh, Nova Squadron right before the horrible catastrophe that was the subject of the episode The First Duty. And yeah, we cut back to the present and Nick Locarno is kind of ranting about all of this stuff to Mariner and uh, we drop out of warp and he reveals not Nova Squadron, but Nova Fleet. Yeah. Pretty cool looking fleet to me. It's a great, I mean, it's a, we love a rabble of ships, different looking ships, always better fleet than a bunch of the same samey ships. I like that uh, Nick Locarno has like designed a Colford Starburst logo for himself and his fleet and He's like wearing it on his jacket. You know, he's really got the energy of a guy that like peaked in high school and re- is really like hanging on to having been the captain of the football team in his mid 40s or whatever. I mean, there really is a, a letterman jacket type look to him. Yeah. That's a pretty good note by you. It seems like Nick is misreading Mariner and the moment here, though, right? Because Mariner's like, am I a prisoner or a hostage? And Nick is like, Hell no. Like, you're going to ride with me because it's obviously what you want to do. The assumed loyalty that Nick has of someone that he knew back at the academy is delusional. I barely knew you then. Oh, come on. It's delusional off the bat. And Mariner does that thing where she does not disabuse him of this up front. Like, he just keeps talking and talking and talking about how sure he is that she's going to ride for him. That is so often the case with guys that peaked in high school, though. They, like, you meet them 20 years later, and they assume that the social dynamic between the two of you is going to be exactly the same, and and they're going to be king hot shit, and you're like, I don't think about you anymore. (laughs) I don't don't know what to to say, man. (laughs) I don't know how many of these interactions you have, but I probably peaked in high school. (laughs) I think you've yet to peek at him. Seems like you have a real axe to grind against uh, high school peekers. Hey, high schooler, how's the peeking? (laughs) Are you enjoying being a cop now? (laughs) (laughs) But he does have this fleet, and it seems pretty cool. Yeah. Would you look at that? So we cut over to the Cerritos and Freeman's in her office on a Zoom call with her husband and the other admiral that we've been dealing with a bunch this season. She's getting her orders and getting updated about what's going on with Nick Locarno having abducted her daughter. And she's like, I'm going in there to get her. And they're like, no, 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 no. We can't can't act fast. There is a sticky wicket W slash R slash T diplomacy here because these are all species that aren't in the Federation. We're talking Binars. We're talking Orions. We're talking Roms. We're talking Ferengis. Like, we can't just go in there and do whatever the fuck we want. Till this is sorted, we can't risk igniting a war. I think it's interesting that you referred to Mariner as Freeman's daughter in this scene because it's a scene where no one else does. Not Mariner's mother, not Mariner's father. In this conversation or after the conversation is over or anywhere in the episode, I thought this was a bizarre choice and a confusing choice. It was weird. This is not a bell that they've rung hardly at all this season, I feel like. Yeah. The relationship between these folks. And especially strange because, like, 
I mean, we'll get to it, but like when Freeman is like rousing the ship to the cause of rescuing Mariner, there's a bit of a conflict of interest in that, right? But one that you would only see if you had watched an episode before this season, even. I don't know if you grasp it if this is your first season of the show that you're watching. Yeah, but who does that? Nobody does that anymore. I think you have to tag the scene with a moment between Mariner's father and mother. Yeah. Like the fleet admiral blurps off of the FaceTime, leaving husband and wife to discuss the very real danger that their daughter is in. They don't even have that moment for themselves. I just thought that was weird. Give Philomar more stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the greats. So... I mean, the fleet admiral's point is when the coup is bloodless, you can't be up in there spilling blood first. So a hands-off approach is what the order is. And back yeah. with the Nova fleet, Nick Lacarno is giving Mariner the tour of his ship. And it is very, it feels very at Star Trek Discovery in a weird way. Star Trek disco chic yeah. is what you might call this way of decorating. Very white and nothing else thanks i designed it myself yeah it i mean he did he did like inverted colorway though like where mm-hmm. discovery is shiny black panel lacarno's ship is shiny white panel i mean there's some futurism there maybe because i think i just had some recency bias for modern star trek discovery which is oh, like yeah. in the 37th century or whatever <laughs> oh spoiler alert <laughs> yeah yeah if you're not watching star trek discovery Newsflash. What are you even doing, man? Mariner and Nick walk and talk, and Nick is doing most of the talking. And uh, doing that thing where he's skipping to the ending, where he gets to rub Mariner's face in Starfleet's face (laughs) about having the Admiral's daughter defecting for him. Yeah. That's how face rubbing works, right? Yeah. That's the one reference to Mariner's familial status in the Mm -hmm. episode and it comes from nick lacarno's mouth so he kind of lets her know that everybody is about to find out what his evil scheme is and they go up to the bridge of his ship and uh, for some reason the chair on the bridge of his ship like hovers when he's speaking to the facetime camera did you get the sense that there was like a glass partition underneath it too the way like a B-29 has like the glass bottom <laughs> to the bottom of the flight deck, like that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think it takes a lot from the design of a B-29. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, he gets on FaceTime and they beam this message out to everyone. This is going out on all channels, all frequencies. And Nick Lacarno unveils for all of the galaxy to see his new independent Starfleet. He is an independent captain that is trying to recruit like lower deckers everywhere to Nova fleet, you know, overthrow the captains that put your lives at risk and lead you into danger. Uh, take your ships and come join us. And uh, man, I don't, I, I wrote down what the name of the system is. My, uh, my phone seems to have auto corrected it to detrimental system. So uh, we'll just go with that for now. <laughs> Whatever your notes app wants. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really love the visual choice of, you know, like people all around are watching this message. 
and the visual choice of punching in on the fleet footage. Yeah. And that it's kind of in a VHS resolution. I thought it was a really cool choice. I liked that a lot. We've been talking a lot on the Share Your Embarrassment Tour about the the way Cybok directs the camera when he's making a hostage video or announcing his evil scheme yeah. to the whole ship. And I definitely felt like Nick Locarno took some notes uh, from earlier maniacs that did this kind of broadcasting. No one does it better than Cybok. Yeah, no. Uh, he's the true auteur of, uh, of the maniac manifesto video. Nick Locarno explains that he has a couple of Trump cards, though. He's got himself a black market Ferengi Genesis device in his possession. Should anyone try and come fucks with Nova Fleet, they can catch that device. And uh, the detrimental system is also protected by a system-wide shield called a Trinar shield that's impenetrable for for anybody that uh, wants to come mess with them, I guess. I think very little is made about just how big a shield would have to be to surround a planetary system. Mm -hmm. Like we've seen single serve planetary shields, but planetary system shields. That's a big ass shield. Yeah, it really is. The power demands of such a shield are staggering to think about. Yeah. My phone, when I wrote down Trinar Shield, it was Trinar Shield, right? Because mm-hmm. it's Binar, but Trinar. Mm-hmm. So my phone auto-corrected that to Trina Shield. Mm-hmm. And now all I can think of is, pull over that shield too fat. Woo-hoo, pull over that shield too fat. <laughs> you know, my notes app also auto-corrected Trinar Shield to Duck Shield. <laughs> cool. Great. <laughs> That's not what I ducking meant. Is the Genesis device the nuclear weapon of Star Trek? Kind of is. Because its treatment throughout this episode starting here really feels like it. Like, too dangerous for anyone to possess, especially a madman. Yeah. Must be detonated instead of permitted to fall into those hands, etc. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's got proto-matter in it. You know, like yeah. that, stuff is, that stuff is highly regulated. It's a fun moment when uh, when Nick kind of unveils Mariner here as the punctuation to this speech, and Mariner goes off script. She <laughs> does. I like, he is full of confidence that this is going to be the moment that, that really sticks it to the Federation, and she looks really nervous walking up toward the camera, and she ruins his speech. This guy sucks! What? He's an idiot! Yeah, kicks her way out of the problem. She knocks the like shield column that the Genesis device is being kept in over, grabs it and breaks out. It's a foot race. It's a foot race through this ship. It shouldn't be this easy to just f- fucking run away on a starship. Like they should just sight to sight beamer to the brig with the Genesis device and it's over, right? And yet, do you get the sense that still very few people make up the Nick Licarno fleet in terms of of total numbers? Yeah, it seems like the the numbers are pretty minimal. And there's a lot of starships, so presumably most of them are stationed aboard those and not, you know, moving crates around on Nick Licarno's ship. So Captain Freeman has an address of her own, 
And when she uh, tells the crew about her intention of rescuing Lieutenant Junior Grade Mariner, again, not referred to as her daughter or as a familiar person to her in any way, (laughs) everyone is quick to support this plan. But, I mean, the problem is, how do they get through this shield? Tendi has an idea that will not be revealed just yet. And we cut back to Mariner on the run with the Genesis device. And she comes across a ship in the, like, I mean, Nick Lugardo has done very well for himself in his post-Starfleet career in that he has a ship and a, and a space station, like not to mention all of the ships that he's recruited to his cause. Docked in this space station is the USS Passaro. Mm-hmm. And Mariner is able to get aboard this and use her mom's command codes to take control of it and fly away. Welcome, Captain Carol Freeman. Yes! Knew that would come in handy. Did you look up the name Pissarro by any chance? It's a place in Sicily, but but it's also a last name. Yeah, Fabio Pissarro was a digital artist who contributed a lot of work for Star Trek. His work was in magazines. It was in Star Trek The Experience Ride. It was in Star Trek First Contact. Uh, The Eagle Moss Company used a bunch of it. He was a really talented dude. That's great. A nice little little nod to an important figure in Star Trek history there. It's also uh, the last name of Alan Pissarro, a Hells Angels member who stabbed Meredith Hunter to death. Mm, that's probably the one. <laughs> that's probably who they were really yeah. <laughs> celebrating in this moment. Uh, <laughs> Locarno and a bunch of his fleet mates give chase. So a bunch of ships are chasing Mariner and... Uh, we cut over to the Orion homeworld where basically the entire senior staff of the Cerritos are meeting with Tendi's sister, Erica, asking for some help. Erica has ascended to the throne. This was a throne meant for Tendi, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they're, they're really kind of begging her. It's kind of unseemly what's going on here. Yeah. They really want an attack ship to help them get through this Trinar shield in the, uh, what was the system that you called it? The detrimental system. <laughs> in the detrimental system. <laughs> and uh, Mistress to Erica doesn't want to do this. Yeah. And the more resistance she puts up, the more frustration Tendi feels until finally Tendi demands barter by combat. What mean barter by combat? You'll have to wait to find out because Mariner is trying to leave the system in her commandeered ship. And she doesn't realize that this uh, Trina shield is right there in front of her. She has to pull up at the last moment. She grazes the shield and she's like arguing on FaceTime with Nick Locarno the entire time. But uh, she is not going to let him have the planetary murder machine back. So uh, there's lots of dog fighting and ship to ship combat. And we cut back to the Orion homeworld, where the rules of a barter by combat are explained a little bit. They should be obvious for anyone who's ever chosen a team on a playground during recess. (laughs) It's basically choose your best players, choose your best fighter. 
And uh, to Erica chooses just an absolute tank of an Orion. She's like a shacks and a half. Are you sure we have anyone who can take her? Oh, yeah, we've got this. I liked all the kind of alpha dudes on the Cerritos team getting really excited to get picked. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. They're all uh, they're all kind of peacocking there. The one crew person who isn't peacocking is the bird person. Dr. Miglimo is the person that Tendi likes for this fight. And this comes as a great surprise to him. Does not see it coming. The amount of back and forth cutting in this episode was also just staggering. Because mm-hmm. this is when we cut back to Mariner going into the like icy rings of some planet to hide from the other ships. You know, one of them blows up. She harasses the Ferengi on FaceTime, tries to get under their skin, tries to sell them on the idea that they're giving up on profit by working with Locarno. That doesn't fucking work. A scene like this really seems difficult. I mean, especially to someone like me who has basically zero motion graphic experience at all. I think you've got some when it comes to like particle creation and stuff. Oh, yeah. But like to depict a space chase where there's both foreground and background particles moving independently and that there's like real light reflection happening off of these things. Like when Mariner ships spy hunters that cooling vapor onto the Ferengi ship and then hides in the background, the effect of the red glowing off of the ice before she turns off the power to her ship is so amazing. Like that detail probably took so much work for so little time and and so little space in the composition. Did you feel like the animation was a, a little bit judged up? Even like I think this is a really beautifully animated show and really great looking episode to episode. But this episode in particular felt like they they really put some some extra care and love into it. I mean, it needed so many more resources. Yeah, compared to the others. I mean, the complexity of some of these scenes just seems like it it required it. Maglimo is getting his ass absolutely wallop. Please. Adam, perhaps we could settle this over a delicious bowl of slime. He's like the Kirk to Baeth's Cybok. Mm-hmm. Baeth is just, you know, it's it's not a fair fight at all. And then Tendi pulls out her uh, the ace up her sleeve, which is that uh, she wants Maglimo to puff up his down, fluff up his down, puff up his down, puff it up. <laughs> There's a line after that. In my notes here, I have uh, Beth has Algeria. Sure does. Yeah. She has really bad allergies. Oh, really going great for me. W slash R slash T autocorrect. Unfortunately, Dr. Miglimo loses by winning because after deploying the fluff, Beth starts sneezing her ass off and then finally falls right on top of Dr. Miglimo. Yeah. So sad. And that means she won. Is there a sanctioning body in uh, in Barter by Combat? Because it feels like what Dr. Maglimo was doing would maybe fall afoul of like fair combat rules. Like it seems, it seems almost like, you know, a bio weapon. <laughs> yeah, this is like that scene in Bloodsport when the bad guy blows the dust in Frank Dukes' eyes and it blinds him. I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair. It's not fair at all. It's not sportsmanlike. Nope. 
He gets what he deserves. Beth falls on top of him. He can't move. So yeah, Beth wins. We're on Beth's side. Yeah. of this conflict, you don't cheat to win. And the deal is they're going to have to give the Orions the Cerritos. That's the rule that they agreed to. You never gamble more than you can afford to lose, Captain Freeman. Yeah. Bad bet. You should have your own special separate account for for betting money and betting ships, you know. On the front of her pad, like the the one that she has to use to like transfer the ship's control codes, it should just be like a resting screen of when the fun stops. The pamphlet. (laughs) (laughs) That's what should be on it. She's got to read that pamphlet. Yeah. The fun has stopped, Carol Freeman. Yeah, it's it's really sad. Hey, cheaters don't deserve nothing in Latinum. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality, and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trek. Tendi, in an act of final desperation, offers herself in trade for this ship. If the Orions let them keep the Cerritos and give them a warship, she will come back and serve at her sister's side on Orion. And this uh, this seems agreeable. Seems worth it in the moment. I mean, this is a deal that Mistress Dierica is happy to accept. That'd be even better for her. She yeah. doesn't want the crappy old Cerritos. Yeah. So Mariner's kind of doing the math on what's going on, hiding in this planetary rings. And she's like, you know, if these guys get the Genesis device, it's all over for everyone. It's really bad news. So she looks around the system and realizes that Detrimental 9 is a planet that can host no life. So it is a safe place to set off the Genesis device. Sounds like a party. Plot a course. She fires up the USS Pissarro and points it at Detrimental 9. And turns out there was a cloaked Romulan ship waiting for her to do just this. It isn't long before she's surrounded by Nick Licarno's entire fleet. Ugh. I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where else is she going to go but the Ion Storm? Yeah. You know, the Ion Storm seems really bad and like it's going to tear the ships apart. Locarno tries to order some of the other members of his coalition of equals to follow her into the Ion Storm, and none of them are taking the bait, so he has to go do it himself. Back with the Cerritos, it has pulled up to this Babylon 5-class Orion destroyer. (laughs) Now, Ben, I got to admit to you, I don't know exactly what Babylon 5 looks like, but I imagine it's the ship that the show is named after, and it kind of looks like this, right? Yeah, I think Babylon 5 does kind of look like this. Phillips, report! This thing's a relic. Whatever this thing is, it's busted. Real bad. Yeah. And this is the sort of double cross that you think that they should have seen coming? Yeah, they're dealing with Orions. Like, of course Erica is going to fuck them over. Yeah. Even though she's dealing directly with her sister. She's being real Orion-y. Yeah, it's the sister part that hurts, I think. Like, yeah, in a vacuum... You could expect this sort of behavior from them. 
But man, even at her sister, pretty brutal. Yeah. And uh, Mistress De Erica admits it and is proud of it. <laughs> this double cross. Yeah. So uh, they're really worried. They're they're over there on the ship, and Rutherford gets in a huge argument with Benson Livick over what the plan is going to be for getting the OSS Retribution back up and running. Time is running out, Adam. We don't have a lot of time left to rescue Mariner, who is, you know, she's got minutes before this ion storm rips her ship apart. I don't know about you, but I really love it when two competent people have an argument in service of a problem they're trying to solve. Like this moment between Livick and Rutherford, I thought, you know, if all you ever knew of Rutherford was his like toxic positivity, <laughs> you might think that this is unbelievable, but it's in service of, of Tendi and needing to get her back. So it feels totally in line with a, a sort of break that Rutherford would have in this personality. What do you think? I think twining is bad. Uh-huh. It's T. Lynn's idea to put them on the riverboat and have them compromise there. It works. You know it's going to work because twining always works. Does it? Yeah. I do declare we've settled upon a compromise. Why does this work? It seems too slow. Riverboats are slow. Twaining seems slow. A hundred percent of the time it works a hundred percent of the time. It's great. What is great is the Wrath of Khan style battle sequence between the tilt ship and the USS Pissarro. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. And the taunting going back and forth between Mariner and Locarno. She is relitigating the first duty with him, basically. Like he has he has tried to build a life around the idea that it was unfair that he got kicked out of Starfleet, that Josh died tragically, but it wasn't his fault. And Mariner is like, no, you have a giant fucking ego and Josh died because of it, because you needed to do something to like make everybody remember you. I think the accusation of ego is kind of half right and half wrong. Like playing back that whole scene at Starfleet Academy like a bunch of people are capping on Nick Lacarno for making the Culvert Starburst plan about him, but he denies it the whole time. He makes it about Red Squad then. And so I think maybe it's inaccurate to call his plan back then fueled by his ego, but I think it is more correct to say that the current plan is about ego because this is really all about his worldview yeah. and the assumption that everyone else shares that worldview. The the assumption that he still has that Mariner and him are the same. What does she have to do to prove that that's not the case? I don't know, man. I mean, the point you're making makes me think that Mariner might need to resign from Starfleet though, because if she gets it that wrong, <laughs> like she has failed in her duty to the truth, whether that be scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. I mean, you're not wrong about what this scene is for. It is really about Mariner declaring the truth of her character and her motivations, right? And maybe the easiest and shortest way to do that is to put those values in opposition to Nick Lacarno's in a scene like this. For Nick to be like, I am this way and so are you, 
And then Mariner to be like, I am not, this is the way I am actually, Yeah, is a way to neatly articulate that. I didn't take a single shot at your fleet, but you put them in danger. And what about Josh? That wasn't my fault. What about Josh? Like, <laughs> we got to remember that someone died. Yeah. And Mariner reminds Nick Lacarno that Josh died for his ego. And that's a moment that isn't interrogated because we're interrupted with this news about the Orion battleship. Yeah. I kind of wish they went further. Yeah. I mean, like, Locarno was saying Cedo died for, you know, a pointless reason. And Mariner comes back at it with, like, no, Josh died for a pointless reason. Cedo died for something she believed in. I mean, what did Cedo's explosion look like? Was it spectacular? Was it during a celebration? We never even got to see it, and that's the greatest I mean, tragedy of all. That's how Josh went out. I mean, say what you will about what Josh died for. It mm-hmm, was a beautiful mm-hmm. death. Yeah. What's worse than an unobserved explosion? <laughs> when an explosion explodes in the forest and no one's there to appreciate it? <laughs> did it really happen? I don't think so. Yeah. Speaking of beautiful explosions, Boimler is given temporary command of the Cerritos, which is tractor beam towing the Orion ship in toward the Trina shield and just basically throwing it like a rock at this impenetrable barrier. And the sequence of explosions as the ship rams into the shield, I thought were beautiful. They reminded me of explosions in the movie Akira. Yeah. Like, it was just yeah. so cool looking. Do you ever think about how much more difficult it has to be to make animation impressive like this, to give a sense of of shock and awe and scale to a thing. I really thought this would be difficult to pull off, but I was also in awe of it. It looked great. Yeah. We get some Captain's Yacht action, which goes commented on. This is the first time we've ever gotten to see one doing anything. The greatest trek is yet to come. They do a thing in this sequence that I think is really fun, which I, I'm going to show you and everyone watching the feed. It's like there's normal stand to camera where you're like squared up to it. But yeah. then there's there's Star Trek leadership pose, which is like not in profile, not even in half profile, but like a one shoulder slightly forward when you're addressing the person. Yeah. Face to camera, but but like body three quarters to camera. Boimler gets to do this and Freeman gets to do this. And I think that is super intentional to show the captain and the acting captain and their physicality being so similar. Yeah. I liked Boimler shouting down the Admiral. That is, I think, real character growth. Like, I believed that he was capable of doing that in this moment. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that, you know... In past seasons, he would have been. Turn that ship around right now! Yes, sir. But first, I have to rescue my friend. You can't get through that shield! I'm not. Captain Freeman is. What? The captain's yacht makes it inside the shield, and basically this is when everybody in the Coalition of Equals abandons Locarno and decides to get the fuck out of there. It's hard when... You know, you're you're the guy riding against rank and order to all of a sudden be rank and order guy to keep people from from leaving. Yeah. He's kind of stuck. He's become what he set out to destroy. Yeah, so Nick Lacarno goes alone 
and uh, he fires on Mariner's ship, and Mariner knows she's got to abandon this thing. It's taken yeah. too much fire. And so she activates the Genesis device instead of allowing it to fall into Nick Lacarno's hands, and Nick beams over as soon as she does, and Nick is ready to fight. He's ready to fight and shoot. He's ready to fight and shoot and say he's not a murderer while <laughs> fighting and shooting Mariner in this moment. Yeah, he's like also bragging about his skills of a bomb technician, but he didn't even wear his t-shirt that says that he's a bomb technician, and if you see him running to try to keep up. Yeah. I love the sequence of Nick saying over and over again he's not a murderer, and when Mariner starts to beam away, he shoots directly into her transporter beam. Like, (laughs) his intent was to murder. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps something occurred during transport, Commander. Fucked up. So Nick Lacarno is left with the bomb that he thinks he's deactivated up until the very last moment when the bomb of a Ferengi software design asks him for latinum that he does not have. That's why it's always good to have at least a little bit of cash on you, you know? I think that's You a never good know. Yeah. Like, you might come up on a situation where you're defusing a bomb and you need to stick a 20 in there to save the day. Or you might just, like, have to valet your car because you're running late and and need some tipping money, you know? You know what a real exciting version of that scene might be, Ben? Is, like, you pull out some some paper money and put it in the thing, but it's too crinkly. Oh, yeah. And you're, like, like sawing it on the corner of a table trying to flatten it out, but those seconds are ticking by, man. Yeah, yeah. The the little corner is folded over, and you're like, come on, like, why does this make it think it's not a real bill? Oh, Awful. So boom goes the dynamite. RSVP Nick Lacarno. I loved seeing the Genesis effect. I couldn't believe how much nostalgic effect this had on me, but the like concentric rings appearing slowly and like the amount of time they just gave this moment to breathe, I thought <laughs> was so good. And it really hit me. Yeah, I, fe- I felt the same way. Like there's got to be so much intention surrounding what choices you make in what you decide to take from Wrath of Khan and what you leave behind. Like, there are a couple of compositions that are are straight out of that movie, but not all of them. Yeah. Just the ones that I would argue are the most beautiful, and this is one of them. Those rings are great. Anyone who's a Star Trek fan knows what this moment means. Freeman fails to get charged with insubordination for her actions surrounding the detrimental system. They explain to her that this new planet that is going to be called Locarno is going to be used as a place to settle refugees. It appears to be stable, unlike the original Genesis planet. Or maybe Starfleet feels like they have had enough of you refugees and just want to put them in some lava. I don't know. I I hope the refugees don't need paper money or latinum in order to settle this planet. (laughs) Yeah. And we get a nice scene with Mariner and the other betas of her apologizing for kind of taken out her thing on them over the course of the last season. Apology not accepted, because we're here for you no matter what. Very forgiving. 
are these folks for having their lives put in danger over and over and over and over and over again because she was dealing with some internal issues. Yeah. T. Lynn screens a call from her former captain. All of the events of the last season have convinced T. Lynn that this is where she wants to be. (laughs) Yeah, I like being back in the bar and grill for this. This scene to tie up the season. It was kind of driving me nuts that like nobody was talking about like, well, I guess we got to like also think of this as a goodbye to Tendi. Yeah. It seems like it comes as a surprise to them that this debt gets called in. There seems to be some umbrage taken with how quickly the debt is called in more than anything. (laughs) What did you think was going to happen? Your sister sent a ship. Already? Derica doesn't waste any time. There's a weird tone to this because in the transporter room, they're ready to see Tendi off. And obviously Rutherford is, is taking this worse than anyone else. And Tendi hugs him goodbye. But once she's gone, the remaining lower deckers seem really confident that she'll be back. Yeah. I mean, maybe they're just kind of aware that they're on a cartoon show that is definitely going to find an excuse to get her back. Maybe. But the tone of this final, final scene on the Orion ship, to me, is even more unusual. Because when Tendi watches her ship get further and further away, and then she like kind of steadies herself, she turns towards her new life and walks past the camera, like... You and I have both read and heard Mike McMahon's comments about the future of this show and how nothing is guaranteed. Like, I wonder if this was concluded in such a way that could be its its serious finale. Hmm. That was part of the calculus here. Because if that's the case, it seems like everyone will be okay. Yeah. And that's that's the main takeaway. I think that my hunch is that this was something Tendi did on purpose because she has toiled under this stereotype about Orion's her whole career and it's a stereotype that many Orions are very happy to live up to and she is in kind of an interestingly potent position to maybe change something about Orion society. So I kind of interpreted this as Tendi walking toward a future with resolve and that future that she's designing for herself is one in which she tries to liberalize her society and make it more like the Federation or or become a member of the Federation or something like that. It's interesting that she has so much confidence about interacting with her culture so much more of that than she's ever had about being a Starfleet officer and her own career there yeah. and her relationships there even. Yeah. I had a a punch up on uh, that last little interaction with her and Rutherford also that I just wanted to, to pitch you. Okay. When he says the thing about keeping the conduits clear of buildup, you know, mm-hmm. like if, if he'd been like, like, how am I going to do that? I've got a roommate, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's great. That's really funny. Yeah. I like it. You know, just uh, just something to consider if anybody's like looking for somebody to sit in the writer's room and toss off one good joke per season. You know, you don't even need to animate that part. Like, just shoot the react. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can just loop it in. I love that. Well, did you love this episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, Adam? Sure. 
I liked it a lot. And I like the season a lot. I think the part of the season that I keep thinking about is whether or not this show is Star Trek as a place or is it animated Star Trek as a place Mm -hmm. with different rules. Because I think, I wonder if you thought this way, like in the first couple seasons of Lower Decks, I really felt like this was a real Star Trek show with real stakes, like Star Trek stakes, and real Star Trek people and real Star Trek places. And something about this season made it too fantastical or more fantastical than I was expecting. And it all has to do with Mariner's interest in dying. Like I could get with her on not wanting to rank up because she's a fuck around person Mm-hmm. that like slumming it with people who like to have more fun but like miss me with the death wish you know there's something very un-star trek about it hmm. yeah like someone should have jumped in and stopped that whether or not it was her mom or her friends everything i think about this season goes back to that like we really have characters here that are fully sketched out with backstories and histories and interests and goals and stuff. But it just kind of felt like a step back for Mariner in a way that I think on paper was supposed to be a step forward and a breakthrough and like getting to real insight. But where that insight is, is the danger she put everyone else. It just makes me think like if, if this was effective in making that backstory true, then death wasn't on the line for the rest of her friends and this is a cartoon and not a star trek show in that sense is what i'm saying making any sense like i'm trying to like tease apart the the idea that this is a cartoon from star trek in a way to like make the mariner storyline work a little better because if this is real i don't think it does as well i think you're making a very interesting point and i don't know if i'm quite there with you i think that this season feels a little more like it has a twist ending than previous seasons of Lower Decks. Like, I guess, uh, you know, there have been twisty, surprisey ending things in previous seasons, obviously, but um, this one is more like a, you know, a The Sixth Sense or a Fight Club where I feel like the second watch through, I'm going to see different stuff in it than I saw the first time because I couldn't see what was coming. And I think that that was very frustrating to me the first watch through of this season. I felt like the season was kind of a mess and kind of wasn't headed in any particular direction and didn't seem to have as cohesive an idea behind it to me when we were Mm -hmm. there in those earlier episodes. And I really am curious to see if that all hits really different now that I've seen the whole season. Yeah. That said, I really liked this final episode a lot. It felt like it succeeded in a lot of the same ways that the previous episode succeeded in that it was drawing on stuff that the show had very meticulously established over the previous season and seasons and previous iterations of the franchise, you know, like the, deep history of Star Trek enabling storytelling like this is such a cool aspect of this show and and 
this is one of the shows that can uniquely take advantage of that because yeah. you can cast you know contemporary B Dunks and Will Wheaton and Shannon Phil as mm -hmm. uh, as characters that they played you know more than twenty years ago. Yeah, I love that. And you know, fill out more of that story in an interesting way. Yeah, I mean, Lower Decks remains one of my favorite new Star Trek shows. That's not going to change. I hope it comes back. I hope it gets seven seasons and four movies. Me too. Yeah, I would love to see some some Lower Decks feature films for sure. Yeah. I would also love to see if we have anything in the Priority on Inbox. You want to go in there, see what's up? There they are, Ben, in slowly growing concentric rings. <laughs> priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, our first priority one message is from a concerned citizen, and it is to all you friends dropping the ball. Hmm? Ooh, boy. Goes like this. An empty P1 inbox is completely unacceptable. I'm doing my part. You do yours. <laughs> wow. Jeez. The marching orders have been given. <laughs> I really like the feeling behind this message. Uh, there was a time when we had very few, if any, priority one messages to read on Greatest Trek. It's, it's encouraging to see the P1 inbox fill up. That's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing uh, the next month or two are full, but, um, you know, the earlier the better in terms of booking these things. You know, you want to uh, get a certain date, you want to you know, target somebody's birthday or uh, if you're launching a product and you want to do a promotional message around it and you know when the launch date is going to be, like, uh, get in here and, and line it up now, you know? Don't make a concerned citizen be the only one. There are times we haven't been as specific about this as maybe we should be, but, like, the stability of the income from our show is what makes us able to make plans for us and ourselves and the employees that we pay. So, like, a full Priority One inbox means the stable income from that. The full ad inbox helps us make plans from that. Uh, the listener support that we get monthly at MaximumFun.org slash join. I mean, the merch that people buy is not stable, conversely. Just like yeah. touring is not stable, because we don't do that all the time. So... I really want to say that like there's there's great great value in if you want to support the show in doing things like a priority one message or signing up for a membership it really keeps our work safe in a way that is meaningful. Well said. Ben our second priority one message is from your frog prince it's to Ben and Adam. The message goes like this. Is an EMT I would absolutely support you two standing up whenever first responders are recognized as you've definitely saved me many times over the years. Your acknowledgement and support of mental health awareness as something just as critical as physical health is, is appreciated beyond words. Thank you, and see you in Seattle. Ah, thanks, your frog prince. We've met your frog prince a few times. I think standing up during a moment of recognition for first responders would be maybe the most stolen of valor there's ever been. <laughs> I will never stand for that recognition, but I I really love knowing that what we do helps those who are, in some small way, endure what has got to be a, a challenging professional life. One of the guys in my uh, in my D and D game is a first responder, and uh, 
I, uh, I pull over for him out of respect every time. Cut to your D&D game and, and they check their pager going off and they just silence it to keep playing with you. <laughs> yeah, it's like T-Lynn screening the call, you know. Yeah, I don't want to hear from that guy right now. Hey, thanks to these two for filling out priority and messages. You can do the same by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron where personal messages are 100 bucks. Promotional messages, which reach our entire large audience, $200, a great value goes a long way in supporting the show. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? That's young Adam. (laughs) Did you discover yourself a misophonic Larkin? Maybe my biggest laugh moment in this episode was Rutherford calling to Erica Tendy 2. No can do, Tendy (laughs) 2. Because that is exactly how I described her in my notes before she got name checked in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like who's that? I know. I know that's her sister. I don't remember her name. I'm just going to say Tendy too temporarily. <laughs> I thought that was a great moment, especially because of how related this scene is to the scene earlier where Rutherford and Boimler are arguing over how closely Nick Lacarno and Tom Paris look. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> rather, <laughs> Rutherford's confusing to me like that. (laughs) He gets one, but not the other. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Ben? That's a great Edward Larkin, Adam. Mine was Boimler. Uh, He had two laugh lines for me in this episode. Uh, One, when Locarno's on screen explaining that he's got the first ever totally independent Starfleet and Boimler just like to no one goes, oh, the Maquis would like a word. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> really got me. And uh, the other was when uh, McLemo is down there engaged in, in single combat with Baeth. And he goes, does this mean I'm going to have to find a new therapist? <laughs> I really I really felt that, man. <laughs> uh, those, those two lines were my biggest pops of the episode. And uh, really... Well-written jokes, I thought. So uh, give it to Bradward Boimler this time. Ben, I know earlier in the episode you had a you had a little punch-up, a little tag that I thought was really funny. I just thought of one. Okay, good. It had to do with, uh, with Beth mm-hmm. and how like Rutherford occasionally confuses people and forgets their names and stuff. Like, yeah. what if uh, what if Rutherford asked? her what her name was and and she looks down at him and she's like my name is Beth <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great that kills right come on that kills 10 times out of 10 <laughs> my name is Jeff <laughs> my friend Rutherford here says you're like the Orion Wolverine <laughs> All right, Adam, we got one last segment here on the mm. show. Mm-hmm. We call it Warning Boys. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning Boys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Sure do. Danger Boys sometimes, but uh, calling it Warning Boys today. Danger Satellites. Uh huh. I'm going to share something from the website warpfactortrek.com. Mm hmm. It's not a Star Trek fan website, Adam. It is the Star Trek fan website. Warpfactortrek.com is the Star Trek fan website. This is the one. 
Uh-huh. An author named Grayson Thaggard gave our show a shout-out on a, uh, a roundup of uh, podcasts for Trekkies. It's a nice little read. We're in there with uh, Open Pike Night, Chuddle Pod, and, uh, and a show called Yelling About Star Trek. All nice little write-ups, but uh, it was really fun to see some press about our show. It used to happen all the time. Happens very rarely <laughs> these days. Everybody who knows about us knows about us, I guess. Yeah. I just wanted to say thanks to Grayson for writing about us and saying such kind words. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Always neat to see our show in print, online or otherwise. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you've uh, enjoyed the show... Leave a warning, bois, you know, go on online, recommend the show on a social media website, leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever, and uh, maybe we'll see it, and maybe we'll uh, give you a shout-out here on the show. Always feels good to encounter a warning, bois. Well, Adam, this has been the end of our uh, main season coverage of uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. We're going to go into an every-other-week posture through the end of the year at the very least because we uh, don't have any new Trek coming out to review, but we will be doing uh, some episodes covering those very short Treks that came out. Look oh, yeah. for those. Excited to see those. Yeah, and we have uh, a bunch of other really fun stuff in the works. We're going to do an awards show before the end of the year. We got we got big stuff in the works. I'm not I mean, we're we're taking some time off because we're going fucking crazy trying to record and tour at the same time. But don't worry, the the uh, content is still going to be coming, and uh, it's going to be good. Yeah, don't unsubscribe. Subscribe again. Subscribe yeah. twice. Get another device and subscribe on that. Yeah, I like that idea. With that said, uh, we're going to toss the pod keys to Wendy to take it home. We're fucking drunk. We can't drive right now. Hey, thanks for another great season, FODs, and thanks, Wendy, for getting us through another one. All right. Bye-bye. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. In two weeks, Ben and Adam will be back with a review of the very short treks that were released on YouTube earlier this year. At the end of every episode and every season on this show, we want to thank all the great people who help make Greatest Trek possible, especially the MaxFun members who support on a monthly basis. Members get access to the entire catalog of MaxFun bonus content, plus the new bonus episodes that are coming out every month. You can set up a membership at MaximumFun.org join, and that really makes the show possible. We appreciate it. Also, thanks to Adam Ragusia. He composed all of the original music for this show. Check out his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusia. Thank you to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art. And thank you to Bill Tilly, who manages all of the At Greatest Trek social media pages. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.